the pelvic floor is the keystone of our body in a lot of ways, or at least the pelvis is. It connects everything, upper body to lower body. It's right in the middle. And it is the cross section of so much of our anatomy. This is Unladylike. I'm Kristen. And today I'm bringing y'all a little holiday treat from the Unladies Room Patreon. It is a treat in the form of pelvic floor education that everybody could use. As an elder millennial, my pelvic floor education was largely limited to this brunch scene on Sex in the City. Look at this. The Kegel Master. What's a Kegel muscle? It helps you stay tight down there. And I have one? If you have to ask, you haven't been doing your exercises. What exercises? All you have to do to stay tight is to tighten and release it for 10 minutes a day. Kegel exercises. I'm doing mine right now. And I'm not doing mine right now. Man, she's good. (sighs) It is time to get all up in the pelvic floor. Fun fact, everybody has one. I didn't know that. Why didn't I know that? (laughs) To start, could you just introduce yourself and share who you are, what you do, and why? I'm Dr. Kara Strauss. I'm a physical therapist. I've been practicing in Atlanta for 11 years. Um, graduated from Georgia State with my doctorate in physical therapy, um, which is a clinical degree, not a PhD. A lot of people ask that question, but we're comparable to like a medical doctor. I started practicing at a Pilates studio slash physical therapy studio at that 11 years ago point. Um, and about four years into practicing, I realized that I was missing a lot of what I could do with my patients because I didn't have background in pelvic floor. So that is when I started my pelvic floor training, which is really what we're here to talk about. Um, And so I started taking like all the continuing education possible. Um, I have taken hundreds and hundreds of hours of coursework, and I've been treating pelvic floor patients for seven years now. Um, The other piece that is new and interesting is I've just started as a faculty member at Georgia State. So I'm just burning the candle at both ends, um, trying to get acclimatized to faculty life. But it's been really, really great and definitely upped my learning. Um, So it's been really fun. Yeah. Well, before we get into the the ins and outs and details of what exactly the pelvic floor even is and Mm -hmm. what the therapy involves... What prompted you to reach out to me after listening to the Unladylike episode with Dr. Fenwa Milhouse, who is a urologist? So I listened to that episode and there was so much good information and it was clear that the doctor you're interviewing was really excited about what she was doing as a urologist. But as I'm listening, I'm thinking, gosh, that's what I do. 
that is like literally the work I do every day with my pelvic floor patients. They come to me with urinary issues, be it urinary incontinence or sometimes inability to pass urine or pelvic pain, pain with sexual intercourse, uterine changes, meaning the uterus might drop or lower or the bladder might change position. You probably heard the word prolapse, um, but that displacement of those organs. So she's describing this work and this counseling with her patients. And I'm going, again, that is what a pelvic floor physical therapist is trained to do. That is what we spend our, our, with me, it's an hour long patient one-on-one with it or hour long treatment with all of my patients. And I spend that whole hour counseling and making sure that they, they understand, you know, how are we actually working through these issues? So it felt a little like, huh, maybe the people need to know about pelvic floor physical therapy as well. And it's no shade to surgery because surgery is obviously sometimes what we need to do. Um, But there is a whole line of conservative treatments that you can do with your pelvic floor PT before it gets to surgery. And not to make enemies of surgeons, because again, (laughs) important work that sometimes needs to happen but a lot of the times I can help a patient avoid surgery. And I think for the most part, humans would prefer not to be cut open, even if it is an amazing minimally invasive surgery like they're doing with that Da Vinci robot that the doctor talked about. Um, It's still preferable, like let's see if you can actually operate the muscles of the pelvic floor more effectively and perhaps we don't even need to cut you open at all. So that was really what got me all fired up, and I had to send you a message. And here <laughs> and we I'm are. I'm so glad you did. <laughs> I'm so glad you did. And speaking of those muscles, what exactly is the pelvic floor? Oh, let me tell you. <laughs> so the pelvic floor, if we're looking at the human body, and we're looking at the skeleton, you can probably imagine, or even, you know, right now, do it with me, take your hands and put them on your hips. And when I say hips, I am putting, yes. And I'm doing air quotes, because those are technically not your hips, but let me not get all technical with you right now. So hands are on what most people refer to as their hips. What your hands are actually on is your pelvis, right? So that would be this big, solid, bowl-shaped bone in every human's anatomy. And this is regardless of gender or sex assigned at birth or however we want to kind of get into that angle. Uh, But every human has one. So within that bowl of the pelvis, specifically at where there's that wide opening at the bottom of the pelvis, there's actually not an opening. If we look at the body intact, there's a set of muscles. And those muscles at the bottom of the pelvis, essentially creating closure, those are the muscles of your pelvic floor. So that's the simple answer. Um, If we wanna go into a lot more complexity, there are different layers to those pelvic floor muscles and each layer has really specific function. Um, If we go to layer one, which would be the most superficial layer, that's where we have the muscles that are important in sexual function, urinary continence, fecal continence, so keeping the pee and the poop in, but also getting erections, becoming aroused, actually reaching climax. That's your layer one. And then there's bits and pieces of layer two in there as well. So if we're going from superficial to deep, 
we've started to incorporate our layer two, especially when we talk about the urinary sphincters, the muscle groups that actually control when urine comes or stays in or comes out. Um, and then layer three, the deepest layer of the pelvic floor, those would be the muscles that are most important in structurally helping hold together the bones of the pelvis, but also holding up our pelvic organs. And if you are a person with female organs, that includes your uterus, your bladder, and the rectum. So pelvic floor, super important. And again, every human has one. This is not just for people identifying as female. I'm already learning so much. <laughs> so what are some scenarios in which it needs therapy? So many possibilities here. Right. Um, the things that people think of most often, you know, I get the question a lot like, oh, those are the, that's something we want to work on after somebody has a baby, right? That would be, I think for most people, what comes to mind. And that's absolutely true. Um, I do recommend if a person is planning on becoming pregnant, they probably want to understand how to operate their pelvic floor. Um, and when I say operate the pelvic floor, I mean, do we understand how to contract the muscles? Uh, some people call that doing a Kegel. I prefer to call them public floor contractions because I really don't like terminology that was named after men, uh, especially mm. when we're referring to something that is almost always discussed in reference to the female anatomy. But we're talking about being able to contract, relax, and lengthen the muscles of the pelvic floor. And that lengthening of the pelvic floor is often very, very tricky, but it's really what needs to happen if we're going to pass a human out of a uterus and into the world. Um, so preparing for childbirth, then there's also the recovering from pregnancy and childbirth. And when we talk about that recovery, we often talk about making sure the muscles can re-engage, or if there's been tearing at that perineum, uh, we may have to actually help and manually kind of get that scar, scar tissue moving again. Uh, but again, making sure those muscles are operational. And after a person has been pregnant, especially if they make it to nine months of pregnancy, there's often a separation in the abdominal wall. We call it a diastasis rectus abdominis, also known as DRA. Um, so pelvic floor therapists will often help people regain control and integrity of those abdominal wall muscles. That's all the pregnancy stuff. Well, it's the short answer for pregnancy <laughs> stuff. And then we also have any urinary problems. So sometimes people have trouble keeping the pee in, right? So we to call that leakage, we call that urinary incontinence. Sometimes people have difficulty letting the pee out. And that would also be a form of urinary or avoiding difficulty that a pelvic floor therapist can help with. Sometimes the bladder just doesn't empty on its own or it tries to empty at the wrong time. We call that urinary urgency incontinence or just urgency if it's just like you're getting that bladder signal in the wrong moment and then you're thinking, oh my goodness, where are the toilets? Where are my exits? How can I get there as quickly as possible? Um, so urinary problems, issues with the other side of the spectrum or not spectrum, just the other side of the pelvic floor really. So when we move to bowel movements, Again, if somebody is have, having trouble keeping the feces in, or if somebody is having trouble passing their stool, so if somebody is experiencing a lot of constipation or pain with bowel movement, um, that may be an issue with the pelvic floor. And then we get to 
pelvic organ prolapse or displacement. So the uterus or the bladder or the rectum are moving or bulging into compartments that they're really not meant to live in. And then that can secondarily cause issues with urinary continence, fecal continence, things like that. And then the big one that I think we need to talk about is sexual dysfunction Mm. because people can have a lot of difficulty around sex and it is this taboo topic hopefully not as much as it used to be. But I have a lot of patients coming to me and I have this screening that I take everybody through regardless of what I know your diagnosis to be. And I ask, are you having sex? Sometimes I want to know what does sex look like for you? Because I need to know, like, is there a vagina? Does something need to go into that vagina? Or are we having sex in different ways? But regardless of your answer to that, is there pain with that? Are you feeling like you are actually achieving your end goal, which may or may not be an orgasm? Because again, all of that can also be an issue with the pelvic floor. And probably the thing that we talk about most frequently is difficulty tolerating either a penis or a speculum or a toy or something going into a vagina. But if that's something that's really painful for someone, we can definitely work on actually listening and relaxing the muscles of the pelvic floor. Um, and public service announcement, it's not always strengthening that needs to happen. So if you have problems with your pelvic floor and you're thinking, oh, I'll just do kegels, not always the answer. Actually, sometimes kegels make things worse, which is why if you have any questions, you want to ask somebody who knows what they're talking about. How can kegels potentially make things worse? Yeah, so if we have a really high tone pelvic floor, meaning there's just a ton of tension living in that pelvic floor. And maybe we've developed trigger points, which if you aren't familiar with trigger points, if you like reach up and like massage the muscles of your shoulders, they're tight on almost every human. Um, Those tight spots that feel kind of ropey and hard, those are trigger points. Pelvic floor is made up of muscles, just like your shoulder muscles. They can develop trigger points too. If I go and manually internally treat, I will find a spot that's really sore on that person. That's kind of our confirmation that we have a trigger point. So if those came from tension or gripping or holding of those muscles, if we go and we start strengthening those muscles, it's actually potentially going to make the pain worse and make it even more difficult to achieve the end goal of being able to have sex comfortably or whatever it may be. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. It is also the only that I personally would recommend to people because I've heard real-world positive reviews of it. Hinge is great for anyone looking to date with intention. No matter if you're part of the LGBTQIA family or not, Hinge helps you find people you actually like. And one way that Hinge has been carving out more space to do just that for bisexual and queer daters is with their new bisexual preferences. Now, bi and queer daters can customize preferences for age and height across different genders, making it easier to find who you're looking for. Because we all deserve to have more control over our dating experience and go on great dates. Yeah, I mean, they they do still exist. I swear. Download Hinge and find someone worth deleting the app for. How do you feel great on vacation? Like, really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder 
and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great, you'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Since every human has a pelvic floor, why why does pelvic uh, the pelvic floor and pelvic floor therapy like why do we associate it so much with you know people with vaginas? The answer is that there is I hate admitting this, but there are certain disadvantages to having a vagina (laughs) when it comes to the pelvic floor. I mean, I know we can go off on this, but um, because there is literally a big opening in the pelvic floor that simply does not exist with the male anatomy, that does, of course, create some potential for things going wrong. Or I don't even want to say things going wrong, but just dysfunction that we then need to rehab. Yeah, so you can just imagine that the ability to contract a muscle that's got a big gap in it, it's going to be more difficult. So when I'm testing my male identifying patients versus my female identifying patients, I do tend to find that if there's a penis present, and meaning there's, there's a closure of those pelvic floor muscles, there is going to be a naturally stronger pelvic floor which is why the follow-up question is often, well, what does happen with the male pelvic floor? The tendency, and of course, there are always exceptions to this, but with male pelvic floor, we're tending to see more tension, more difficulty actually with bowel movement. And there tends to be a real tightness problem a lot of the time. And of course, with male anatomy, there's the potential of prostate problems, um, which is a whole different topic. And then, of course, we have pregnancy and the potential for pregnancy, which only happens with the female anatomy as well. Um, So that adds a whole list of things that are only going to happen when there's a uterus in the person we're dealing with. Tell me a little bit more about your transition into pelvic floor therapy and what, what prompted that. The big thing that made me want to become a pelvic floor therapist, pelvic floor physical therapist, is that I didn't want to miss anything. So I'm treating patients as a relatively new grad, and I'm treating low back pain, and I'm treating hip pain, and I'm thinking, again, what else might be playing into this? And so that was my major motivation. And it's also this area that in most programs, at least 10 years ago, was just kind of being glazed over. Mm. You know, you get intense and anatomical training in every other part of the musculoskeletal system. And then you get to pelvic floor and it's like, boop, boop, boop. Here are a couple of muscles. You're probably not going to remember this. Let's move on. And I'm not, again, not trash talking. My PT program was amazing. But it was sort of the standard education at the time. I didn't want to be that person anymore. I wanted to be the person that if you came to me for any problem, I could zoom out and I could go big picture and I could capture anything that might be playing in. And that really speaks more to my desire to be a very one system, holistic practitioner. And this starts to become even more obvious when you look at somebody who's having pelvic organ prolapse. Um, just for one example. And, you know, again, that is the person who has maybe change in the position of their bladder, it's starting to drop down. 
And then this is causing urinary problems. Well, that person almost always is going to also have a component of difficulty taking a deep breath in. And why might that be? Because they might also have really rounded forward posture Mm. because that posture is actually functionally putting more pressure on the pelvic organs. So then we take another step and we look at this, possibly it's looking like a non-related diagnosis of shoulder pain, but really their shoulder pain is the reason they have pelvic organ prolapse. Well, how am I going to see all these connections if I just don't even know what's going on with the pelvic floor? So I didn't want to be that person who was missing anything. And then it became a really deep dive from there. Considering it is, like you said, the keystone of the body, why why is the pelvic floor still so often overlooked if if considered at all by just, you know, the the average person? I think the answer is that it feels kind of icky to talk about sometimes. You know, we're, we're talking about, to me, some of my favorite topics, like I want to talk about poop with everyone, please give me the opportunity. But we're sort of conditioned that these are things we don't talk about. So I have my list of pelvic floor questions and I'm going through them with my patient and they're like, you really want to know everything. And then they still stop and they go, I'm sorry if this is TMI. And it's not, it's not, if it's relevant, if it's a part of your experience with your body, I just, I mean, I have no boundaries at this point. So I will just talk about anything at any point. And my partner loves it when I bring up poop while we're talking or while we're sitting at dinner, but it happens. Cause again, I've just been, I've been conditioned that these things are normal to talk about, but that's not the standard human experience in this culture that we're living in. Um, and then especially when we start talking about sex and that's a huge part of pelvic floor well-being. And I cannot tell you the number of times I've talked to a person and I say, if it is important to you, are you able to have an orgasm? Have you experienced an orgasm? And the answer is usually, I've never been asked that question before. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just, it's the part of the body that covers all of the taboo topics all in one, but foundational to our well-being. Do you have a kind of typical patient and how do they find their way to you? So my patient population, when I'm thinking specifically of my pelvic floor patients, more common than anything I'm seeing people who actually have elevated tension in their pelvic floor, Um, which is not what people are expecting me to say. Again, people are thinking, oh, you're dealing with a lot of people who are going to have babies, which I do see a fair number of expecting parents. um, And that's wonderful. It's so much fun to see that progress. But the patients that probably require a little bit more depth and time together Um, Those would be the patients who come in and they are not experiencing the amount of pleasure, arousal, orgasm experience that they really would like to have or sex hurts. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's that's what I'm working with a lot. And it's very gratifying when somebody can actually have comfortable sex and an orgasm to top it off. 
<laughs> very satisfying, probably more for the patient than me, but that's <laughs> what we're here for. So that that's probably my most frequent patient population. So how does that the actual therapy work. Walk us through kind of your your process with that. Yeah, so I have a patient, they come in, we're sitting together. And in my clinic, I'm very, very lucky that I get to spend 90 minutes for an evaluation, because that's what I decided I need. Um, and especially when it comes to pelvic floor, I have to admit, sometimes we go longer, because there's so much history. Um, the pelvic floor, again, if we're thinking about the diagnoses that we've talked about and the potential for how these dysfunctions came to be, um, we're dealing with really vulnerable topics that need to be treated with sensitivity, um, taking a very trauma-informed approach to what we're doing, uh, making sure that patients feel safe and that they trust that this is a very private environment. So we take a long time talking through everything and making sure we get a really complete medical history. After we've done that, if the patient is appropriate, then we go through a full musculoskeletal screening. And I do go to any joints that seem like they may be involved. So I'm typically looking at spinal movement. I'm looking at hip movement. But if we have a suspected you know, upper spine involvement, then I'm going to look at neck, I'm going to look at thoracic spine, I'm going to look at shoulder movement. So we look at any and all areas for movement, for strength, for just general functional mobility. Once we've done all of that, then we go more specifically to the pelvic floor, which is where I am definitely going to want to at least visualize is the patient able to contract, relax, and lengthen the pelvic floor? But again, if it's appropriate, I'm gonna go ahead and do an internal evaluation as well. And that includes a digital internal evaluation. So that, you know, I glove my hand, I put all the lubricant on, and then we're actually internally checking those muscles for their ability to contract, relax, lengthen. And I'm gonna treat right then and there for areas of tension, which really can make a huge difference in one session sometimes. You know, when I go to my gynecologist and I'm getting my my annual pelvic exam, and it's the digital exam, how would you compare, like, is that the kind of exam that you are doing talk me through the what the mechanics are it's pretty different in that i do not use the speculum so mm. for anybody who doesn't know the name of that device that goes into the vagina and then like cranks open that nobody likes that's not a part of pt practice so you will not see a speculum um in a pelvic floor physical therapy session um so as opposed to having to tolerate what to some people, it looks like a pretty large device for what we're doing. You have to be able to tolerate one of my fingers. Um, and my hands really aren't that big, um, but they're able to sense and feel way better than the speculum can. And that's because I'm looking for different structures than your gynecologist. I'm looking for status of the muscle tone that we've talked about. And I typically, especially if somebody's experiencing prolapse, um, I am going to try to look for what is the placement of the bladder, what is the placement of the uterus, and looking for might include touching rather than seeing with my eyes, because when, when you're talking to a PT, we might just be talking about our hands when we say looking half the time, because it's how we sense what's going on with our patient's bodies. But 
the, or the evaluation tends to take a lot longer because we are looking in much more detail and we're taking a therapeutic approach as opposed to with your gynecologist. It's we're in, we're doing a little swab of the cervix and we're hopefully out pretty quickly. And your gynecologist also will then do a, sort of a bimanual check for your organs with one hand in the vagina, one hand over the abdominal wall. I may also look at that depending on what's going on with your body. But looking at this big picture, all the other components of the body that may be involved, I'm sure you know that's not what happens at the gynecologist. Um, and the, big, the other big difference is then how we treat, which is non-medically because I am a physical therapist, not a medical doctor. So our plan of care after the fact is much more patient involved. You know, what did we find? How are you gonna learn how to change how you're interacting with those muscles and with your pelvic floor to attain your best possible function. So what are some examples of the treatment itself? So the treatment itself, typically, again, I'm doing that internal evaluation, which I genuinely don't do with everyone. It's just not always appropriate. If I find a spot that's really tense, I'm going to hold pressure on that spot to a tolerable level. And we're going to wait for that muscle to let go. And we're trying to help muscles that are tight to release and lengthen as much as possible um, right then and there. Um, we're also, if I'm feeling like we have a situation where I'm testing for your ability to contract and I'm not feeling much, then I'm going to give feedback to that patient. I'm going to help them to understand this is how we engage those muscles or this is when we engage those muscles to reduce this incidence of urinary leakage, for example. Um, so we start training and understanding how to operate the muscles. Or we might look at when urination is happening. And I can have a patient actually keep a diary of when throughout the day are they peeing. And we're going to try to correlate that to what have you eaten? What have you had to drink? Um, what else is going on that may have triggered your bladder to think it's time to pee, even though it's not actually time to pee? And then how can we retrain those patterns? Um, so there's a lot of habituation that's going on. And then if we come to less of the internal treatments. I'm also teaching people, you know, I get them on some of my Pilates equipment and we're looking at, can you coordinate your ability to engage the pelvic floor with exertional exercise so that, you know, maybe you're peeing during, you know, every time you stand up out of a chair, a little bit of pee comes out, or maybe somebody, the, a really common one is I cough or I laugh and a little bit of pee comes out. So can we learn to coordinate the contraction with the effort or with the pressure on the pelvic floor. Uh, we look at all of that and then we go even bigger picture to retrain postural habits, postural patterns that may also be contributing to tension or a deactivation. Um, but it's a really involved process. And I think the operative word that I like to remind people of is it's therapy. I'm actually helping a person to re-engage with their own body and so my goal is not for me to fix my patients. My goal is for my patients to understand how to interact with their own bodies and fix themselves. And I also would urge patients to not really look at themselves as broken anyway. And fix sort of implies this idea that you're busted. We need to come in and like, let's just fix it up. Something is not coordinating or something is maybe not functioning in the best possible way. We have this opportunity to retrain it and you have an opportunity to 
be more empowered in your own body, that's what we're aiming for. And any tool I can throw at a patient to retrain that, I'm going to give it to them. So hopefully they don't need me forever. And ladies, if you are looking for the perfect personalized gift for loved ones this holiday season, you got to check out the Skylight Frame. Skylight is a touchscreen photo frame you can send photos to straight from your phone and they appear in seconds. You can even preload photos before the box is opened. It displays in HD resolution. It looks like a real modern photo frame. Skylight offers two different sizes. You can also set it up in landscape or portrait mode. It has different color options for the frames. And Skylight is so confident, you're going to love it. They offer free 120-day returns. And as a special limited-time offer for Unladylike listeners, you can get $15 off your purchase of a Skylight frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash unladylike. Again, that's $15 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame at skylightframe.com slash unladylike. And let me just spell it out for you. That is S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash unladylike to get that $15 off your frame. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What are kind of the limits of therapy? Like, where would therapy stop and a need for a more invasive, like, medical intervention begin? Yeah, and that's a really important question as well, because there are clearly times where surgery is the right answer. Um, And the thing that comes to mind first is the pelvic organ prolapse. So if we have in most cases, it's going to be a bladder or a uterus that is lowering down. It's actually into that vaginal vault. And sometimes, I mean, it's visible or it's even coming out of the vagina. If a prolapse has progressed to that degree, typically, we're not going to be able to conservatively treat it. At that point, we are definitely getting that person back in front of their urologist or their urogynecologist. Um, and considering how do we repair this? How do we give this person the structure that their body is no longer providing for whatever reason? That's, that's one really big example. We mentioned the diastasis or that DRA at the abdominal wall where those muscles of the six or the, the components of the six pack start to separate. If they separate to the point where there is actually tearing and we can no longer actually strengthen and regain integrity of the abdominal wall, that also may be a time where surgical intervention is appropriate. So there there certainly are times. And my advice to most people is if it feels like conservative treatment is a possibility, we should at least try it first. Mm -hmm. Um, If I'm seeing somebody for months and months and we're just not seeing the change that they want to see, 
I'm going to tell them, I think we need to consider a medical component here. And maybe it is something where we actually just medicinally treat or we go to surgery. But yeah, PT is not always the thing, but it is often something we should at least be trying. I have heard from unladies about every single one of these issues and actually learned about, what is it, DR? DRA. DRA. (laughs) And I actually learned about DRA thanks to unladies writing in about it. But it's usually within the context of, I want you to talk about this on the podcast because I was living with this thing and it took me so long to get to any kind of like meaningful treatment. And I had kind of no idea what was going on with my with my body. And I was just curious from your experience how how common that is of patients that you see who have sort of just spent years with whatever it is that they're dealing with and having no sort of no insight from, you know, their their doctor physician about like what could be going on? Yeah, way too often that is that is coming up. And I love that that is changing bit by bit because of people like you helping people get information, knowing what questions to ask. But it is still way too often that I'm in an evaluation with a patient and I'm listing my list of questions and they're going, I didn't know that was something you could treat. And that also applies to the rest of the body, but especially everything seems to amplify when it comes to the pelvic floor. So yeah, for the DRA, we have patients who are like, I guess I just figured that's how it's got to be. And I have this weird sort of bulge in my abdominal wall when I do a sit up and, you know, they just say that's what my life is like now. And interestingly, a DRA is something that can also happen from overtraining the abdominals. So you see a lot of like really elite athletes who have this same similar separation from like doing crunches after crunch, you know, just really kind of getting down with the abdominal wall, Um, which is why when we're working on DRA in particular, we're working on trainer training deeper stabilizing muscles of the abdominal wall rather than those six pack muscles, which when we contract them, they do tend to pull apart a little bit if we're working them too much or too hard or in the wrong ways. So To the question, though, DRA, thankfully, is something that I don't care how long you've had it. I don't care if your child is 20 years old. We can still work on it. There is often huge potential on the abdominal wall whenever we start retraining it. So a person can come in and they can have that 20 year old and they can go, oh, you have, you know, we've we're I this is something I I have a standard of testing for. And I do see that you've got a separation. Can we incorporate that into what we're doing? Because I think it's going to help you to take some of the stress off of your pelvic floor if you can stabilize somewhere else. And we start training that. And there are also manual interventions that we can do to help get those muscles to come back together. And then we're seeing changes within sometimes one visit. So it's just awesome to see how much difference we can make and how much the patient can get back for their own life. So yeah, I I am far too used to seeing people going and living with things. And again, especially, oh, I just figured when I laugh, I'm going to pee my pants. (laughs) Not necessarily, right? (laughs) Um, So I, I would love to see everybody getting the education, 
maybe doing some of the training on their own. But if you can't figure out what's going on on their own, come and see a pelvic floor therapist. And you and I are in Atlanta. We have so many amazing pelvic floor PTs in Atlanta. It's it's kind of incredible. So the resources are there. What role does pelvic floor PT also play in gender affirming healthcare? Pelvic floor PT can be a big part of that. Um, and with gender affirming care, we have to remember it may be simply hormonal treatment that a person is going through. Not everybody opts to have bottom surgery. Um, some people opt to just go top and not bottom. Um, the the real thing that I run into, and I feel like I, again, have to make a little public ser- service announcement. If you're in, interacting with a transgender person, we are not going, oh, so do you still have fill in the blank? Mm-hmm. It's so not okay to ask that. I might ask that, though. <laughs> I wouldn't put it in those terms, though. Let me be clear. <laughs> um <laughs> But oftentimes I am seeing people because they have had gender affirming bottom surgery. Um, And then we are orienting to new anatomy. Depending on what the surgery is, somebody has a neo-vagina, then we are helping that person to maintain a vaginal opening um, if that's what they've opted to have. And that's a lot of work, but reorienting. And then of course, if somebody has had surgery, there's going to be tension in those muscles of the pelvic floor. So again, potentially that's where a pelvic floor therapist comes in and we can help reduce that tension and get a more functional pelvic floor. I do not see as many people with neophallus or a new penis. That mm-hmm. surgery is definitely less common. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. And I may even help somebody who has just had top surgery and I might help that person dealing with scar tissue and just being able to posturally adapt to no longer having breasts that they didn't want to have. Um, so with gender affirmation, pelvic floor PTs do play a big role. If there was one myth you could bust or misconception about pelvic floor therapy, physical therapy, what would it be? I think the big myth, which I talked about earlier, was just that we're PTs for people who are having babies. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are PTs for people who are having babies, potentially. Um, but that is certainly not it. That is not the extent of all of what we can do. And it's certainly not just for people who are sexed female. Um, I see people of all genders anywhere on that spectrum. Um, So you can certainly be a person with a penis and have a pelvic floor problem. So it's for everyone. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Who's excited for their internal evaluation? Um, Is there anything that I haven't asked you about, we haven't touched on that you want to make sure on ladies know? The big thing I want on ladies to know is that you should always advocate for your own care. And that means if you are seeing your gynecologist and you have a question and they kind of took you quickly through that exam and you're feeling a little just cold and alone on that table, stop them and ask your question. And if you want pelvic floor physical therapy, you can request it. You can say, hey, can you send a referral over? I have this pelvic floor PT that I think would be a good match for me. And you can get started. 
Um, sometimes, especially with something that is only recently gaining traction, we really do have to go in and start requesting things ourselves. It's not top of mind for our physicians who are in their defense, incredibly hurried and overburdened in a lot of their settings. And they just have to kind of knock things out just to keep up with their schedules. It's obviously not ideal, but you can force them to sit there with you and answer a couple questions and you can make your requests if you think it's something that would be helpful to you. And I urge all people to stand up and ask for what they need when it comes to working with physicians or any medical provider. Okay, and ladies, that was the interview. If you would like to support Unladylike directly and want to find out what kinds of bonus episodes you're missing out on, like this one, you can either search Unladylike Media in the Patreon app or go to patreon.com slash unladylikemedia and join. $5 a month and you get instant access to, oh my goodness, how many now? It's more than enough content to get you through the holiday season. I can guarantee that. As always, I would love to hear from y'all. You can send voice memos to hello at unladylike.co or DM them to me on Instagram at unladylikemedia. And Unladylike is an Unladylike Media production. Executive produced, written, edited, and hosted by me, Kristen Conger. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. And till next week, what is the most unladylike thing about you? Kristen, you have to know I came prepared for this question. (laughs) That question is no longer secret. My answer, whether or not it's saying lovely things about me, is that I am a person who really leans into my anger. Like, I love being pissed off. It feels really good. And whether or not that is always a positive thing in my life, It's just something that I do. I'm not the person who shies away from her anger in any way. If I'm pissed, you're going to know, and we're probably going to have a confrontation.